Thanks, Jordan. G'day, everyone. Let's uh, pray after that uplifting Bible reading. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, we pray that we might have the attitude that we read about in last week's passage when we looked at King Josiah, the greatest of the Old Testament kings. We pray that like him, we might want to hear your word, that we might want to live by it, we might want to trust it, and we might want to share it. And we pray tonight that you'll give us that sort of an attitude for your scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. I, uh, I don't know about you, but do you ever start watching series on TV and uh, you start off liking it and so, you know, first episode, two episodes, three episodes, even a whole season, you think this is really good, I'm enjoying this, uh, you get into it, but then you get bored by it, but you feel like you've got to keep watching it. Do you have this experience where you sort of feel like a sense of loyalty, you've got to get to the end of, of the series and so even though you don't want to watch it, even though you'd much rather do anything else, you just turn it on and keep trying to finish it. At the moment, I've just got to share, so I know this might be a bit controversial, uh, Victoria and I have been watching The Crown. You know The Crown, the thing on Netflix about the Queen and all that sort of stuff? And we really enjoyed the first few seasons. And a few weeks ago, Victoria said, let's, let's watch the latest season. It's come out. Let's watch the latest one. Let me tell you, I am watching it through gritted teeth. It, <laughs> the, don't, it is so bad. It's almost enough to make you a Republican. I, you know, it really is. It's, uh, the actors are bad. The story's bad. I, I don't know, it might be that I just know this story now and I know how bad it is. You know, it's one of the areas I didn't know the earlier episodes. But it's like that. I was enjoying it at the start, but now I'm watching it just to get to the end. And so it's sort of like, we watch another one tonight? Yeah, take your, take your dose. Let's go. You know. Uh, there's an expression they use for when a TV show goes past when it should have stopped. They call it jumping the shark. Uh, do you know where that expression comes from? Uh, it goes back to Happy Days. Who, remember, who knows Happy Days? Oh, good. Enough of you do. Good. The Happy Days is the show with the Fonz. I've got a picture of the Fonz here with the Cunninghams. Uh, not the Cunninghams who come to this church and other Cunninghams. But uh, Happy Days had been like the number one show in America for years and years. But apparently ratings were going really, really badly after a number of seasons. So they did an episode where they went to SeaWorld and they put the Fonz on water skis and made him jump over the shark pool. This is, this is the episode. So there he is, still wearing his leather jacket while he jumps over. And that's where they get the expression from. People, people have said, you know this show has gone on too long if you're resorting to making someone jump over sharks to, to get people to watch. So that's where we get, it jumped the shark. It should have ended, but it just keeps going. My point is, in many ways, these last few chapters of Two Kings actually feel a bit like that. We've been looking at Two Kings for some time now, and I want to say I've really loved our series in Two Kings, but by now, it's actually sort of gotten relentless. Uh, you know how it's just been bad king, after we've had this wonderful moment with Josiah last week, but other than that, bad king after bad king after bad king, some of the Bible readings, it's, there was this king and he was evil, and there was this king and he was evil. And more than that, we know the end of the story. God has said a number of times already, I am going to judge this people. I'm going to judge them for their idolatry. I'm going to judge them for their hardness of heart. But it just keeps going. But here is the thing. God actually wants us to feel this way as we read this book. It's important to remember this. Not every book of the Bible is meant to send you home singing happy, happy days sort of, sort of idea. As we read two kings, it's written to make us feel the pain of what's going on. We can get rid of the fonts now. Thanks, Kenneth. But we're, we're meant to feel, and I've called this talk, the monotony of evil. You're actually meant to read it and get a bit worn down 
by the, the, the evil of Israel. And by the end, as we keep reading, you're actually meant to feel the pain of what happens. So now, finally, we come to the final episode. And it's a really sad end. So we're actually looking from chapter 23, verse 31, through the end of chapter 25. So go back to chapter 23, verse 31. That's where we're staying. If you don't have a Bible, you really will need it because we're looking across the three chapters. So put up your hand and someone at the back will get you one. But uh, where we're up to, the northern kingdom of Israel has been wiped out, judged by God. God has said there's no hope now for the southern kingdom uh, of Judah as well because of their idolatry and evil. They're going to be wiped out as well. Uh, and that's been especially sad for the last two weeks that we've seen. It's been sad because we've actually, they had the best kings they ever had. Once it was too late, they got Hezekiah and Josiah who actually led them well, who, who, who taught them God's word. But it was too late. The die had already been cast. God had promised he was sending his judgment. So let's look at the final episode of this sad story. So chapter 23, verse 31 is where we're picking it up. So last week, we looked at the great and godly King Josiah. We saw how he's a true hero of the faith. But despite all his efforts, eventually his reign comes to an end. He, he's killed by the Egyptians in battle. And so Josiah's son, Jehoahaz, takes over. And Jehoahaz brings us crashing back down to earth. Josiah was great. Jehoahaz, what does he do? Look at 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 32. It says, he did what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestors had done. At this point, I want to say to you, this is a massive lesson from the book of 2 Kings. Maybe it's biggest lesson of all. The, the lesson that righteousness, that faithfulness is not genetic. It, it does not just passed down automatically from generation to generation. Every generation needs to decide to follow the Lord for themselves. So often in two kings, the son of the bad king is evil, the son of the good king is evil. The son of the bad kings, usually the good ones, are the sons of bad kings. It's, it's all messed up. And the reality is we know this as Christians as well, don't we? Sometimes we know it through tears. You see, we want to do whatever we can to raise people younger than us to know and love Jesus, but it's never automatic. Each generation is responsible for their decision to follow the Lord or not. Uh, and that's not just true of individuals, by the way, it's true of churches. Bible-believing churches go off the rails in moments, in matters of, of just a couple of years, when they, when they appoint a minister who doesn't teach the Scriptures, when they... When, when they turn aside from God's Word, if they don't watch their doctrine closely, it's amazing. Good churches appoint one bad minister and that's the end. The, the, the whole congregation walks away from the Lord. Two kings is a stark reminder that faithfulness is not genetic. It must never be taken for granted. But anyway, Jehoahaz only lasts three months before he gets replaced by his brother Eliakim. Uh, it gets very confusing at this point because they nearly all have a name and then get another name. So don't get too confused. Uh, he, Eliakim, is a puppet of the Egyptian pharaoh. So pharaoh gives him a new name and it's Jehoiakim. He reigns for 11 years and it's more of the same. Look at there at verse 37. It says, he did what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestors had done. And this is what I mean by the monotony of evil. As you read it, you're meant to go, why do they keep saying the same thing over and over again? Have I, have I read this before and forgotten? You know, when, you, when you're a bit tired and you start rereading the same chapter you've read before, it's like that, it's monotonous because they're all the same. But it must be said, Jehoiakim was a whole extra level of evil. 
So they were all evil. He was extra level. He truly hated God. Two Kings just focuses on his political mistakes. You actually read about him a lot more in the book of Jeremiah. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago I said I pointed out how the prophet Isaiah was was uh, there around the time of the king Hezekiah, and you could go and read Isaiah to get more information. Now it's Jeremiah you can read alongside, and Jeremiah tells us all sorts of evil things this king did. Just to give you a taste, you can go read it later on. Jeremiah 22, he, he taxes the people massive amounts so he can build himself a luxurious palace, and then once he's built it, he doesn't pay the workers. He, he refuses to pay them. So the bloke is just a crook. That's what he is. But what was worse was his attitude to God. In Jeremiah 26, you can read about how he, these faithful prophets came to challenge him, share God's word with him, and what he did, he just had them killed. And the only reason Jeremiah survived is people sort of helped him get away and helped smuggle him out, if you like. And then the worst moment is Jeremiah 36, where Jeremiah writes down God's word for him on a scroll, and then as he has it read to him, he takes his knife, cuts each sentence off and drops it in the fire. You see what, what an attitude that is to God and His Word. I remember when I was a student minister many, many years ago, like Bryn, uh, a student minister, and, a, and I wasn't preaching, thankfully, I was leading the service, and a friend of mine was preaching, uh, and as he went to start preaching, this guy walked into church, came and sat down here, near Alex at the front, and took out a broadsheet newspaper like this and opened it up and just started reading. It's just like, that's my attitude to what you've got to say. That's how rude I am. Well, this is even worse. This is like someone opening up the Bible, tearing out each page and throwing it in the fire. That's what this king does. That's his attitude to God's word. He's evil. But back to the story, Jehoiakim picks the wrong side in the politics of his time. He rebels against Babylon. This is all history, by the way. This all matches the archaeology and so forth. But because of his rebellion, King Nebuchadnezzar, one of the most famous people in history, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon sends his armies to destroy Jerusalem. So Jehoiakim dies, and his son, just to confuse you, Jehoiachin, takes over, and guess what he was like? You're right. Look at 2 Kings 24 verse 9. You'd be, you'd be surprised to know. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, to, as his father had done. As I keep saying, it's just monotonous. But by now, the end is coming quickly. Jehoiachin and all the key leaders are carted off to Babylon. They're taken into exile in Babylon. And Babylon plunders the temple. They go into God's dwelling place on earth, God's symbolic dwelling place, and they plunder it. That wonderful temple, do you remember reading about it last year in 1 Kings that Solomon built with all the gold and silver? They take it all away. Look at chapter 24, verse 13. It says, He also carried off from there all the treasures of the Lord's temple, and the treasures of the king's palace, and he cut it into pieces, all the gold articles that Solomon, king of Israel, had made for the Lord's sanctuary, just as God had predicted. You're meant to just feel sadness at this. That's, that's what it's meant to evoke in us. Here is the king, Jehoiachin, he's off in prison in Babylon. The Babylonians put their pretender on the throne, that's uh, Mataniah, but to again confuse us, they change his name to Zedekiah, just to make it hard. Then what does he do? He rebels. And again, it's just the same old thing. It just keeps happening again and again. But this time, they come and they destroy Jerusalem totally. Before they stole everything from the temple, now they knock every stone over of the temple. They set the city on fire. 
They burn everything down. Just scan with me through 2 Kings 25 to see some of what they did. This is what we read before. So look at uh, chapter 25, verse 7. It says, They slaughtered Zedekiah's sons before his eyes. Finally, the king of Babylon blinded Zedekiah, bound him in bronze chains, and took him to Babylon. Isn't that awful? You know, the, this guy, the last thing he sees is his sons being killed in front of him, and then they blind him and leave him alive to, to think on that for the rest of his life. Look at verse 9. It says, He burned the Lord's temple, the king's palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. He burned down all the great houses. But then from verse 13 is the worst. From verse 13 on, they actually totally destroy the temple. They, they kill all the priests. And so the point is, finally, it's all over. There's nothing left. There's no hope. But a real optimist might say, if you're reading it, there was still some of God's people there. There were still a few poor people hanging around in Jerusalem. Surely God could, could raise up his people again from them. But then in one final moment of hopelessness, we didn't read this bit at the end of chapter 25, they rebel against the governor who Babylon had put in charge and the last remaining Israelites have to run away to Egypt. There's no one left. There's just people scattered all over the countryside if they're not dead. And so as we get to the end of two kings, it really is all over. The, the monotony of their evil has reached its end. There is nothing left. And the question we're meant to ask as we get to the end of two kings is, what happened to all those wonderful promises that God made his people? See, what's happened to them? Has God given up on fulfilling the promises he made? Remember how the whole Bible is about God saving a people for his very own. I'm not going to put the people who are doing intro to the Bible on the spot at the moment, but others might give the answers if they don't. Remember how it all starts back with Abraham. And what did God promise Abraham? He promised him... Well, yeah, 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 yeah. He promised him a land. He promised him a great nation, people, and he promised him blessing, and then through him he would... Bless the whole world. Well done, all those people who've done intro to the Bible. Well done. These great promises of a land, these great promises of blessing, these great promises of a great people. And then God said, oh, it's actually going to come through David. Do you remember the great promise he made David? 2 Samuel chapter 7. One of your descendants will be the Messiah. One of your descendants will be the king. A son of David will come and rule forever in righteousness and peace. He will be the one who fulfills all those promises. But as we get to the end of two kings, you're meant to ask, what happened? Where are these promises of God? It seems like it's all over. Great people, no, they're scattered all over the world. The land, it's gone. The temple's destroyed. They're not blessed. They're slaves in a foreign land, just like they started off back in Egypt. When this was first written, it was meant to make us ask, is this the end of God's promises? Is it all over? Has God given up? on the world. This is the lowest point of the Bible. It really seems like God has given up on saving a people. So what are we to make of it? Well, we need to draw out some somber applications, but then followed by one wonderful application. So hang on to that one. Firstly, what are we to make of it? Well, we need to remember that all God's promises come true, even the awful ones. All God's promises come true, even the awful ones. 
You see, it's not that God gave up. It's not that God lost control and so this, this awful thing happened to his people. Two kings is adamant, this is all God's work. But come back to chapter 24, verses 1 to 4. We didn't read these verses before, so you need to follow along. Chapter 24 from verse 1. It says, During Jehoiakim's reign, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, attacked. Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years, and then he turned and rebelled against him. And you might think this is all, you know, political machinations, but then it says, The Lord sent Chaldean, Aramean, and so on and so on. And then it says, he sent them against Judah to destroy it according to the word of the Lord. He had spoken through his servants, the prophets. Indeed, this happened to Judah at the Lord's command to remove them from his sight. And if you reread through this whole story, you'll be amazed how many times you see phrases like, just as God had said, or just as the Lord predicted, or just as God promised. And the point is, God keeps his word. And God had not just promised good things to his people. God had promised that there would be justice. God had promised that sin would be judged, that evil would be dealt with, and God keeps his word, even the hard bits. And it's exactly the same for us as New Testament believers. We believe in a gospel of hope. We believe in a gospel of forgiveness. We believe in a gospel of grace. But we also believe in a gospel of justice and of judgment. God has said, I will not allow sin to go on forever unpunished. God has said, I will send Jesus back to judge. You see, yes, God has promised forgiveness to everyone who turns and trusts in Jesus. But God has also promised that those who don't take up that offer will one day face his judgment. Look at Acts 17, verse 31 on the screen. It says, He, God, has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. See, all God's promises come true, including his promises of judgment. We must remember this. And it must drive us to do two things. It must drive us to cling to Jesus ourselves, but also to share the gospel with our world. Isn't that right? God keeps his promises of judgment just like he keeps his promises of salvation. God keeps his promises of judgment just like he keeps his promises of blessing. Tied to that very somber reality that comes out in these closing chapters of two kings, there's another one, and it's this one. There is a limit to God's forgiveness. God is slow to anger. God is abounding in steadfast love. God is patient, not wanting anyone to be lost. They are wonderful biblical truths, but God's patience does not last forever. There comes a point where God says, I will not forgive any longer. Just look again back to chapter 24, come to verses 3, and three to 4 this time. It says, indeed, this happened to Judah at the Lord's command to remove them from his sight. It was because of the sins of Manasseh, according to all he had done, and also because of all the innocent blood he had shed. He had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, and the Lord would not forgive. Not could not forgive, 
God could forgive. God said, I will not forgive. That doesn't mean God didn't want to do it, but he would give in eventually. What it means is God had said enough is enough. I'm drawing a line. I am not willing to forgive any longer. That is a horrible place to be, isn't it? Outside the forgiveness of God. Now, bringing that forward to us, of course, the most wonderful thing is that while ever a person lives and Jesus has not returned, God is willing to forgive them if they will just turn to Jesus. But there will come a day, like this day for Judah, when God says, I am unwilling to forgive any longer. And that day for us is when we die or when Jesus returns, whichever comes first. This life is it. There are no second chances after this life. And if a person does not trust in Jesus in this life, there is no forgiveness after that. Just a reminder that there is such an urgency to responding to Jesus. That's right. Do you remember we looked at Hebrews earlier in the year? I hope you do. We've looked at it for a long time. But when we looked at Hebrews, remember all those warning passages? Remember all those passages that says, do not turn your back on Jesus. Do not give up on Jesus. Whatever you do, don't stop trusting Jesus because it is an awful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God is so patient, God is slow to anger, God is abounding in steadfast love, but we must not presume on that patience like the people of Judah did. Well, if we left it there, two kings would really leave us on a very, very sombre note. Uh, all of God's promises have come to nothing, the story of Israel is over. But we're not going to leave it there. We've got one last thing, and I've called it the glimmer of hope, right at the end of the book. When I go to the movies, I am quite annoying. Uh, you might think I'm always annoying, but I'm particularly annoying for Victoria. I always stay right to the end of all the credits. So I will sit there and I will, you know, go through 12 minutes of the credits strolling down the screen. It'll go through three different songs because it goes for so long. Uh, and and even the, everyone else has left and even the people with the vacuums are there trying to vacuum around me while I'm sitting there. And the reason is just in case there's an end credit scene. I've paid for the movie, I'm getting it all. So, and you know what I'm talking about, the end credit scene, the superhero movies are especially prone to this. So the movie ends, you know, with the superhero pushing over the building and, and the bad guy's crushed under the building and, and it's, it's all over and they celebrate and they go and do whatever they do and then the credits start and 10 minutes later, suddenly the music stops and the camera goes back on to the building site where the building is toppled over and you're watching it and nothing's happening and then one of the bricks moves and a hand comes out from another. I could write these movies. <laughs> and suddenly you think, oh, he's alive. And it says, and he's coming back in Iron Man 15 or, or <laughs> Superman 27 or whatever it is. This is the end credit scene in Two Kings. We didn't read it before, so come with me. What it does is it jumps forward about 30 years. So it's finished, it's all over. Then it says, hey, 30 years into the future, something happens. A new king takes over in Babylon, the guy with the best name in the Bible, I think, Evil Merodach. Isn't that a good name? And look at what it says. Come to 2 Kings chapter 25, verse 27. It says, on the 27th day of the 12th month of the 37th year of the exile of Judah's king Jehoiachin, in the year Evil Merodach became king of Babylon, he pardoned King Jehoiachin of Judah and released him from prison. 
He spoke kindly to him and set his throne over the thrones of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiachin changed his prison clothes and he dined regularly in the presence of the king of Babylon for the rest of his life. As for his allowance, a regular allowance was given to him by the king, a portion for each day for the rest of his life. You might think, that is a really obscure extra scene. Uh, and you sort of think, what, what's this about? Why, why come back and, and say, hey, things are looking up for King Jehoiachin? Why do they include it? Well, they include it because it is just a glimmer that God is still at work to fulfill his promises. All is not lost. Because remember, the great promise that God made was that it would be a descendant of David who would save his people. Well, Jehoiachin is a descendant of David. And so just at the end of the book, it comes back and it says, there is still hope. God can still do what he's promised to do. Come with me in the New Testament. Come to Matthew chapter 1. Right at the start of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1. You know how on Christmas Day, we always start the reading at verse 18 and we skip over that genealogy? We'll probably do it again in a couple of weeks' time. But you know this, how there's that whole list of names? Turn there now. And it talks, it says right at verse 1, the historical record of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And it starts with Abraham and it goes through Isaac. And it gets down to David there at uh, verse 6. And it goes through Solomon. And then it gets down at the by verse 11. It says, and Josiah, father Jeconiah. Now, this obscures it for us. Remember I said they always change their names? That's Jehoiachin, just his other name, unhelpfully. And it says, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon, and then it says, then after the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah fathered Shealtiel. And then it goes through, Shealtiel fathered Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel fathered Abbey, we won't go through it. But it gets to the end and it says, verse 16, Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. And that could only happen, Jesus could only come, because God kept Jehoiachin alive there in Babylon. And that's why this is there at the end of 2 Kings. It's just a little reminder, my promises still stand. See, Jehoiachin's no hero. He was awful. He was horrible. But he had the son who had the son 14 times, who had Jesus. So it's just like the stirring of the rocks in my movie scene, God keeps all his promises. Yes, the big point of today's passage is God fulfills his promise to judge. That's the big point. But just as the end, there's a reminder, God keeps his promises to save as well. And of course, we've seen the sequel. We know that the son of Jehoiachin is our Lord Jesus, who came to fulfill all God's promises. And in the end, all of two kings, all these bad kings, have all been pointing us forward to our true king, who we know and trust in, is our Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are faithful to your promises. Father, we know that there is a day of judgment. And so we pray that we would never turn aside from clinging to Jesus, trusting in Jesus. And we pray that we would feel the urgency to share the good news of Jesus with all people. But Father, we thank you that even in this darkest moment of the history of your people, there was the glimmer of hope because you were working to save a people for your very own by sending our true King, our Lord and our Messiah, the Lord Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.